Hello, and welcome to the Carmelo Anthony episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 7. My name is Logan Wertman, and today we're going to be continuing going over all those over-under picks uh, that me and Anthony and Jacob made at the beginning of the season. We've been doing this all year long. We're going to finish it out. It's been a good formula also to just check back in with these teams and kind of go over every team throughout the season, break each and every one down. This week, it's going to be the Southwest Division. So all the Texas teams, so the Dallas Mavericks, Houston Rockets, San Antonio Spurs, as well as the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans. So we're going to go through these teams alphabetical by location. So starting with Dallas, then to Houston, and then Memphis, New Orleans, and then finishing off with San Antonio. If you're just wanting to listen to one of those teams um, and you're wanting to skip to that, there should be some timestamps in the description of this episode if you're listening on Spotify. And I'm sure that description and those timestamps show up other places as well, um, like Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. Also, while I'm talking about it, please leave a like or follow or leave a rating or whatever your podcast platform allows you to do. Do all that stuff. It would be much appreciated. But yeah, starting off, I'm going to let you guys listen to the clip of uh, Anthony, Jacob, and I talking about Dallas. Uh, doing the over-under for them, and giving our picks. Uh, we recorded that right before this season started, so you'll listen to that, and then it'll come back, and I'm going to basically just check in with Dallas, talk about how our picks are looking for them, and how they've been doing this season, you know, any surprises that they've had, or basically, you know, whatever commentary that I feel like is important. And yeah, and then after I'm done talking about Dallas, then I'll show you the clip for Houston, then I guess just rinse and repeat from then on out. So yeah, enjoy this clip of us talking about the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas. Uh, I have the under. You guys, the under just by a few games. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, not much. They were one of my possible stay away teams, but I think they'll go a little under. I do have them as a C tier team. Uh, I don't think Kristaps is a great player anymore, and. You know, there's there's only a level where Doncic, you know, can produce. There's there's only a certain level, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. Okay. Um I'm taking the over on this one. I do believe in Luka Doncic. He might be a little bit more of a heliocentric guy than I, I would like him to be. I feel like he could get better off ball. But the way that they've reconstructed the team a little bit to just get kind of pieces to fit around him and it's just the Luka show, I like that. Also, I feel like they might fill the void in the West of a team that's winning a lot of games. Um, with me bringing the Lakers down and everything. Um, so I'll take the over with them. Jacob, what about you? Um, I'm going to take the over, and I think Luca wipes away the just illogical thinking of Jason Kidd. Um, I don't know why he got hired at all. I don't mm-hmm. think he's a great fit for the team other than he's like grit and grind. I don't, I just don't, I don't get it. What he's going to do, I don't understand. I do have them as an A-tier team, though, because I think Luca. This could be that year where, and I've heard it on a bunch of podcasts before, but where Luka takes that big step, like LeBron did in 07, uh, like Dirk almost did in 03, where he just, oh crap, they're already in the finals or they're fighting for a Western Conference championship. And maybe the only reason they haven't done that so far is because they ran into the worst possible matchup for them, the Clippers, two years in a row. Maybe that's the only reason they haven't seen that type of big stage yet. So um, I like the Mavericks. I, I don't necessarily love everything about them, but I just like Luka that much. Yeah, same same here. I don't like the Jason Kidd hiring as well. So I don't know how I feel about that. That's why I don't, you know, they're obviously not a lock for me. But Luca in the playoffs, 
uh, last year and the year before has just amazed me so much. So I'm, I've got to put them in the B tier. So I'm doing that. All right. So it's time to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. So their over underline was 48 and a half wins. They currently have 46. If they stay on their current pace to finish out these last few games in the season, they'll finish with 50. So, you know, this one is kind of a borderline one. Could happen, could not, probably will, though. They finish out this season playing against Lakers, then Cavs, Wizards, Bucks, Pistons, Blazers, and Spurs. So, you know, for Dallas, Spurs, Blazers, Pistons, and Wizards should all be pretty easy wins. Um, you never know, though, especially at the end of the year, what's really going on. But, but I'd say they probably win four of these last six games. You know, if I had to guess, I would think they'd get at least three, which would get them the over. So, yeah, I think Jacob and I are probably going to win this one. We both took the over. Anthony took the under. But yeah, the Mavericks didn't start off the season super hot. They're dropping a lot of games early. And that Jason Kidd hiring was really looking like um, not a very good move by Mark Cuban in the front office there in, in Dallas. But one thing that's kind of showed this year, I'd say, is... Jason Kidd has definitely got the whole Dallas Mavericks team to really buy in defensively a lot more um, than they had in years past, especially with Chris Hapsporzingis uh, for the first half of the season while he was there. Uh, Jason Kidd really got him to buy into the rim-protecting role, and he was playing a lot better at that than he had been really the past couple seasons now. But yeah, and then Luca, he kind of came into the season uh, a little out of shape, uh, I think he's even admitted that himself. Um, so he didn't start off the season super great either, but he's been really, really good these past couple months now, along with you know their whole team success has been picked up in the second half of the season. They did end up trading that albatross of a contract in Chris Epps Porzingis um, for two slightly smaller albatross of contracts. <laughs> um, basically two contracts that are like half the size of that. So really not not that bad at all. They're still kind of movable pieces, especially since Dinwiddie has been performing a lot better on the Mavericks this season than he had been on the Wizards. Davis Bertans was the other contract they got over in that deal. Yeah, so they're both making like 17, 18 mil, I think. And Porzingis is making in the 30s. So I thought it was a pretty good trade from the standpoint of just breaking up that contract. And it was honestly kind of a bonus that Dinwiddie has become like a real contributor for them this season. And, you know, Bertans provides that floor spacing ability whenever you want to utilize that in your rotations. So I thought it was a decent deal on the Maverick side of things, at least. Wizards, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what the Wizards are trying to do right now other than just trying to keep Bradley Beal. But this is the Mavericks section, so I'm going to keep talking about them. You know, back to Jason Kidd and just like the offensive game planning uh, that this team has had this season. Starting off earlier in the year and basically the whole time that they had Porzingis, you know, Jason Kidd was really like all about empowering Chris Epps Porzingis, at least in comparison to what Rick Carlisle um, did with Porzingis. And what I mean by that is just, you know, getting him more touches in the mid range and in post up situations. And I guess just drawing up more plays for Porzingis to be the finisher or the scorer, essentially, instead of Porzingis just kind of being a piece off ball, uh, more like a role player. But I think he's kind of figured out that the way that this roster is built, it's really designed to just kind of be Luka Ball, which is part of what I was saying in the clip that you guys just heard. You know, they kind of just made the pieces fit around Luka as 3 and D 
wing type players. But, you know, I will give Jason Kidd some more credit here with, um, I think he's utilized Luca a little bit less as like the heliocentric dominant ball handler that Rick Carlisle always used him as. And part of that is, you know, Jalen Brunson taking another step up this season and also the acquisition of Spencer Dinwiddie this season as well at the deadline. Him being, you know, pretty capable ball handler. Both of them can kind of ease the load off of Luka and make it so Luka doesn't have to be the ball handler at all times in every sequence, in every situation. It also gives them, you know, a little bit more breathing room or flexibility in the bench lineups when Luka is not on the floor. So that's been a pretty pleasant stylistic change, I guess, with the Mavericks. Um, And I think it's better for them long term as well. I also wanted to mention uh, Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith have been two of the biggest contributors on the defensive end this year for the Mavericks. Uh, They've just been huge for them all season long. Both really versatile, capable of defending multiple positions. Kleba is a really good presence on the interior when combined with his ability to really guard on the perimeter um, very, very well compared to what you would expect out of a guy that looks like him, I guess. Um, I don't know what that's supposed to mean exactly other than he's just white and 6'10". But yeah, he's a really interesting player. There's not a whole lot of people in the NBA right now that are like the same dimensions and same play style or role or whatever as Maxi Kleba. It's kind of a different one, honestly. But yeah, I love him as a role player for this Mavericks team and this Mavericks core moving forward. Same with Dorian Finney-Smith as a 3 and D wing. So they just locked up Dorian Finney-Smith this season with a pretty big extension. So I like that move. But yeah, part of Jacob's uh, prediction, I guess, for this season for the Mavericks was Luka taking a big step up, which, like I said before, he started off the season kind of lower, almost like a fourth-year slump in a way. But yeah, he's gotten back up there recently. I don't think he's really taken much of a step up from where he was last season. He still needs to get a little bit more consistent as a shooter along the arc, as well as hitting his free throws. But yeah, we'll see come playoff time if Luka takes another step up, which taking a step up off of what Luka's already done in the playoffs is kind of hard to imagine. But yeah, that's part of what makes this postseason so exciting, honestly, seeing him and some other stars and what they're going to do this year. So yeah, I think that's probably enough for the Mavericks. Now on to Houston. So I'm going to play that clip of audio for you guys here in a second. But first, just for context... Houston's over-underline at the beginning of the year was 27.5 wins. Um, So that is the line that we'll be discussing over and under on. But yeah, enjoy. And moving on to Houston, I'm doing a big fat under on them, and that is my final lock. Yeah, I don't think I need to explain that that much. I mean, John Wall's sitting out the whole season. Christian Wood, I guess, is their only other like guy that's a you know actual veteran kind of NBA player, and he's not really even a veteran. So I just feel like there's going to be a whole lot of youth development stuff going on. Uh, Jalen Green's probably going to average close to like tw- you know in the twenties of uh, per game. Might have a few forty point nights stuff like that as a rookie. What about Kevin Porter? Same type of thing. It's going to be a isolation, not quite isolation, but they're just you're going to have a lot of offensive firepower in terms of just young and experienced guys. You know, I don't see them mm-hmm. winning a whole lot of games though. So twenty eight, I feel like, is kind of pushing it. So I'm going to lock the under on that one, and I'm going to put them in the F tier as well because I don't think it's in the franchise's best interest to win any games either. So, and Jacob, what about you? 
Uh, I've got the under F tier. You pretty much hit every nail in the head that I could have. Um, Kevin Porter yep. Jr., most improved player of the year, though. Just saying. I'm just, yeah, I'm, that was a joke. Under F. I, I don't have to say much, I feel like. All right, so it's time to talk about the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets over-under this season was 27 and a half, and they have 20 wins right now on pace for 22, and they might not even get that, to be honest. Finishing off the season playing against the Kings twice, the Wolves, the Nets, the Raptors, and then the Hawks. So maybe they get two of those, but yeah, who knows. So John Wall did end up sitting out this entire season. I spoke a little bit too soon, though, I think, uh, in that clip when I said Christian Wood was their only other guy that you could kind of call a veteran. I was meaning more like a guy that could be like a lead guy on a team for them and a, a veteran, I guess, because obviously there's Eric Gordon there as well, you know, who's been around the league. He's a veteran for sure. Um, surprisingly, he didn't get moved at the deadline this year. I also was a little wrong with Jalen Green. I mean, I was right to say that everything that he was going to be doing this season wasn't going to lead to winning games. It was just going to be him having some, you know, offensive performances, you know, lighting it up in ISO and with all the opportunity that he was going to average like 20 something points per game. So he ended up being even more inconsistent, I guess, than I anticipated. So he's only averaged like 16 points per game this season. Um, He's been really you know, inefficient, inconsistent, stuff like that. He's definitely shown flashes of what he can be, though. So I think the sentiment of what I was saying was pretty accurate, I guess. Uh, Same with Kevin Porter Jr. But again, both of them proved to be even more inconsistent than I was really predicting, I guess. And that helped a lot with the, the lock on this pick, which honestly was probably the easiest lock that I made. I mean, maybe the Cavs won, too going over on the Cavs that was really easy for me but definitely those two those were the two easiest decisions of this entire game for me to make but yeah they've had a really funky season they started off the year pretty awful I think they were one in 16 I want to say like they lost their first game and then won their second and then lost 15 in a row then immediately after that they won their next seven games so they became the first team in American professional sports, I believe, or I don't, I've heard somewhere that it was like American professional sports, or maybe even it was like all professional sports. I don't know. Um, that probably encompasses a lot, but the thing is like, they were the first team in a lot of different sports to ever lose at least 15 games in a row and then immediately win at least their next seven. So that's pretty crazy. That's something that's like never happened before. And really with that that seven-game win streak that they went on, I think a lot of that was they started to play some of their veteran guys or, you know, some of their guys that weren't projects as much. Like they started playing DJ Augustine, I think. if That might be completely off, but I feel like there was some random point guard uh, that was playing over there just because they didn't have any point guards. And they, at the beginning of the season, were trying to run Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. as like the backcourt. And then also they had like Garrison Matthews who had like a really good stretch for them. But yeah, the Rocket season has been very predictably bad, I guess. I think that was really all I wanted to say about them, to be honest. I do feel pretty uh, correct at this point about their draft. My analysis of their draft, I feel like they really should have picked Evan Mobley with the second pick instead of Jalen Green. I think that holds up very well. And I saw in like the Ringers draft guide that just dropped 
the first edition of it, the 1.0 or whatever, they haven't had the lottery yet. So they have like a projected order and they have the Rockets with one of the top picks. I can't remember um, if it's one or two, but they have the Rockets taking Chet Holmgren to pair him with Jalen Green, which I like, obviously. That's a good thought. That's a good move there if that does end up happening. But it's just funny because, like, you know, Mobley would have been that pick for them last year, you know, been that Chet role or Chet guy. I feel like I feel safer in Mobley's upside than I do in Chet's. It'll be crazy to see if I come back and listen to this years from now to see how that age. Um, that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, if they do end up with the opportunity to get Chet, that's I feel like they just kind of lucked out on whiffing on Evan Mobley because then they get, you know, Jalen Green, who's an, like he's not a non-factor. Like that's a still a very uh, enticing young asset and a piece that you would also want to pair along with a Mobley type. You know, and Chet is kind of in that Mobley-esque realm, you know, so I'd be kind of kind of crazy and kind of lucky, honestly, for the Rockets if they end up with the opportunity to draft Chet Holmgren to kind of make up for their mistake last year. But yeah, um, I think that's it for me, though, with the Rockets. We can go on to the next one. Um, the next team is Memphis. So their over-under was... 41 and a half wins at the beginning of the season. So yeah, I'll let you listen to that clip of us doing the over-under picks for the Memphis Grizzlies. All right, moving on to Memphis. Jacob. This is my last stay away. I like Memphis a lot, but I also could see Memphis just because of where they're at. They're all young, losing games they shouldn't. I think John Morant is a scary, scary boy. I don't know how to take it because 41, I think it's a good number. So I just went to stay away. I probably leaned over if anything, but I'm just going to stick to the stay away because I needed to use one and I don't really feel like there's another team that I see that I'm like, oh, this is a definite stay away for me. So mm, that's a good one. That's They're one of my candidates too for stay away. I went and put the slight over on them and I'm putting them in the D tier just because of John Morant might take a huge step. So I've got D like tier that, as well. Okay. I feel like the the roster or the team itself is kind of moving towards a youth movement again, like with training away Valanciunas and stuff like that. I think they're just trying to go young, develop their pieces, not focus too much on really trying to scrape out wins right now. So I'm putting them D tier, but I still feel like they might scratch the over 500. I'm uh, going the over as well, and I'm putting them in the C tier. I just, I like their team. And I think John Moran is going to take a big step as well. Uh, and hopefully Jaron Jackson will get back to his, you know, levels of production and yeah. will stay healthy. Um, Brandon Clark has played excellent. Uh, Steven Adams is also a, a very, like a solid, solid center to have, you know, and a good leader. It's a, it's a good, it's a solid team. So we'll see. Uh, but I do like the over on them. Okay. All right. So it's time to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. And so the Grizzlies over under this year was 41 and a half wins. They currently have 53 wins um, and they're on pace for 57. So they definitely cleared that, uh, that line. I think everybody would agree that the Grizzlies are the biggest surprise of this season. Even a lot of Grizzlies fans would probably agree with that. You know, I was pretty convinced of their whole youth movement thing. Like, I thought them moving 
more towards younger pieces by trading away Valanchunas and doing that kind of stuff. I, f- I really felt like they were kind of delaying their timeline in a way, just kind of lining up all their pieces age-wise and timeline-wise with Ja and Jaron and the rest of their core there. But they got even better after this past off season. So, yeah, I was not expecting them to have the second-best record in the league at all, uh, not even close to that. I was picturing them as, you know, kind of in the play-in range. But, yeah, they're, they're well above that. It'll be interesting to see how they do in the playoffs this year because they found a lot of regular season success, you know, in the open court and stuff like that. And that usually doesn't bode super well uh, come playoff time because everything slows down and you got to play more of a half-court-centric game. I think Anthony was the closest uh, to being correct with his uh, little blurb he had in the that clip that you listened to. He got it pretty right, actually, you know, said that Jaw was going to take a big leap and um, stuff like that, you know. So, and Jaw really, I think, is probably the most improved player this season. There's some uncertainty around that award with, like, the criteria of it. A lot of people, um, I've heard the argument of, like, Jaw shouldn't be the most improved player this year because the most improved player should be more of a guy that goes from a guy that's fighting for playing time to, like, a you know, valuable rotation piece, like a role player type thing, not from like borderline star to full-fledged superstar. But I don't know. I think that's kind of dumb to put that caveat on it because I think the tougher jump to make really is from, you know, a guy who is showing flashes of being a capable one-man lead scorer, lead ball handler, all that kind of stuff, and then makes that leap to full-fledged superstar you know number one option on a team doing all that stuff and winning a lot of games doing it too I think that's kind of a, just a tougher hurdle to leap I guess but you know another one of those candidates for the most improved player is undoubtedly Jaws teammate in Desmond Bain you know he's been absolutely incredible this year for them you know probably borderline top 50 player this year um, I want to say you know, really good shooter, really good defender at his position too. So, yeah, Desmond Bain's been really good. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Triple J, uh, he kind of got back. Yeah, and that, that was the other thing that Anthony kind of nailed in his um, section of that clip. Jaron Jackson Jr. getting back, playing healthy, um, which he has been most this season, you know, and especially the second half of this season has been really, really good on the defensive end kind of put himself into into the atmosphere, I guess, of like defensive player of the year talks. Um, I've heard his name brought up there. I really haven't gone through like a deep dive into that award and gone through all the candidates quite yet, but I've heard his name there, I guess, a couple times. So that's huge. Steven Adams being a really, really crucial part to their success this season as well. Just being a bruiser on the boards, both offensive and defensive being a really good playmaker out of the post as well. Um, I've always noticed that from even back to his Thunder days, that he just has a really nice you know feel for the game, can kind of thread the needle a little bit on some of those passes, and I'm glad to see them utilize that skill set in uh, Memphis a lot more than he has so far in his career. Also him you know kind of pairing with Ja in the pick and roll, passing out of the short roll, doing all that kind of stuff, just being a really smart, you know, valuable role player for him. Dylan Brooks has been out for most of the season, but 
you know, Desmond Bain kind of filled in for that role. Tyus Jones has been a really good point guard off the bench in the second units, you know, commanded things. DeAnthony Melton has always been a hidden gem on that bench. Kyle Anderson, Slomo, Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, Zaire Williams, the rookie. All those guys have really banded together and formed a really just cohesive and fun uh, team this year to watch. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, uh, there's also John Conchar. Um, He's been playing really well, too. He's been a pretty good story this year as well. But, yeah, like I was saying, Jaws really elevated himself into that, like, top tier of players, really, right below that. Like, he's definitely in the MVP range. Like, he's going to be on some ballots for sure. I think the MVP race is really between Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Um, in my opinion, but you know, those guys like jaw, Devin Booker, uh, even Chris Paul, I guess, but you know, he missed last really month of the season, uh, DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Anyways, jaw is probably, if you, you know, would rank the top 10 players in the NBA this season, he's, he's definitely in the top 10 at this point, probably taken like Damian Lillard's spot to be honest. But yeah, like I said, they're on pace for 57 wins. And let's look at who they have to finish out the year. For the last six games, they have the Spurs, the Suns, the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, and the Celtics. Okay, so really tough, actually. So they might not get quite 57, but they're still going to end up with the second-best record in the league, I'd say, because they're, they're five games ahead of third and fourth right now. So... I think they'll win at least one of those games, probably two. I think you can probably expect them to beat the Spurs and the Pelicans, maybe the Nuggets as well. Jazz is also in contention. Celtics might not be fully healthy at that point, so maybe that one as well. You know, it really could go either way. They could win all of these. They could win only one or two of them. So I'd say they probably will finish with 54-plus games this season, or wins this season, rather. I don't know if I had anything else on them other than Jaws just a joy to watch. I've heard multiple times it's been said this season Jaws the most electrifying or like the most entertaining player to watch in the league right now. Um, I think he's definitely up there for sure. Maybe just across the board, like in like general consensus, probably is the most entertaining player this season. You know, I've heard comparisons to. Obviously, guys like Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose, John Wall, Allen Iverson even. But one I've heard within the last few months has been like even talks of Michael Jordan. Obviously not full-fledged Michael Jordan, but specifically Michael Jordan around the rim or like what Michael Jordan would be if he was like 6'2", if that makes sense. Just like his acrobatic nature around the rim and, and his ability to finish fluidly and um stuff like that his fearlessness going at the basket yeah like a taller Allen Iverson or a shorter Michael Jordan really it's just kind of funny to think about also his passing is super underrated on like the larger scale of NBA fans I feel like kind of goes unnoticed because he's just such a special player he doesn't really fit uh super neatly into one of those roles like you know he's obviously compared the most to Russ and D Rose and John Wall, like I said, but really I feel like he has the most bendiness or like the most contortionist like fluidity in the air 
out of all of them. But, you know, like downhill with the speed, like he's probably the most like Derrick Rose um, out of those guys. But then when you're looking at the rest of his game, um, his playmaking is probably the most like John Wall. And that's just because John Wall is the best playmaker out of those guys. But Ja, I feel like, is just a really, he's almost like a smart, like floor general type of passer. Like more, he's more in that role than any of those guys, I feel like. He almost has some like Jason Kidd or Steve Nash gene in him, which just makes him really special. So, yeah, there's my Ja Morant appreciation spiel, I guess. Yeah, we can move on from the Memphis Grizzlies now. I think I got to everything I wanted to with them. So, yeah, next team in the Southwest Division is the New Orleans Pelicans. Their over-under was, I believe, 39.5. Let me check that to be sure. Yes, it was 39.5. And and you'll find out how they're doing here in a second. But, yeah, you guys can just go ahead and listen to that clip now. next team new orleans i have the under just because of the whole zion situation he's injured right now he also doesn't seem happy they got a new coach that i don't even remember his name you guys remember the new coach's name willie green something like that mm, yep. i'm not sure i don't know i'm pretty sure like, it's willie green yeah so i don't feel great about them uh they could get 40 games but i don't think they will personally so i'm gonna go under jacob um i've got the under and Zion is not going to be there uh, two yeah. years from now. Oh, wow. That's a take. I'm not disagreeing with it. But And what tier do you have them in? I have them in E. E or F. I was between the two, but I'll go E. I'm going to put them like, in This e, is the honestly. easiest under for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the easiest under for you? Absolutely. Did you lock I just think that Detroit? I, I'm out of locks. But yeah, I'm I just, just saying, you, you, uh, if you want to change your lock from Detroit to New Orleans, that's fine. No, I'll stick with my uh, Cade Cunningham's going to suck. Okay. Not that he'll suck, but everything else around him will suck. Anthony, what about you with New Orleans? Yeah, under, under and E. There's no estimated timetable for Zion's return. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, but, you know, that could also just mean he'll be out even longer than that. So we'll see. But, yeah, they're not going to be good. Yeah, how does a potential face of the league? Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, honestly, I don't know what I was thinking when I put him in D. I I think I'm going to move him down to E. What were you saying, Jacob? How does a potential face of the league in the future like have a Jones fracture in his foot and they're like, oh, didn't tell anybody. Sorry. How does that happen? It's perplexing. Yeah, I really didn't understand a lot of the moves that David Griffin has made. The trade that they when they got Valanchunas was like, okay, because they upgraded from... Adams Valanciunas, which I like. Then, like the all the cap space that they cleared to make a move, they got Devonte Graham with, which I was like, yeah, it, it helps them, but like, does it? It's not really the move that they could have made to really, you know, move the needle. So we're all, yeah. So we all got the under on them. We all feel pretty confident about it. So now on to the New Orleans Pelicans. So their over underline was thirty nine and a half. Uh, they have 32 wins currently, and they're on pace for 35. So they have seven games left in the season. Looks like that'll be against the Blazers, Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Blazers again, then the Grizzlies, and finishing off with the Warriors. So yeah, I could definitely see getting three of those wins in there, maybe even four. Could beat the Blazers twice, and then the Kings, and they just beat the Lakers last game. So 
And so right now they are the nine seed in the West right above. Oh, wow. I'm just looking at the standings right now on Wednesday morning. I haven't noticed this yet. I don't know how long it's been like this, but the Lakers are currently in the 11 seed outside of the play-in. So that's pretty huge. The Spurs are right there now in the 10 seed. But yeah, uh, Pelicans, like I'm talking about, are the 9 seed. Obviously, the Pelicans aren't hitting their over, but they're still having a better season overall than like people would have expected if you told them that Zion was going to be out the entire season, at least I think. You know, they've been pretty competitive still amidst those Zion rumors, you know. I guess just for those that don't know all the Zion conversation that's been going on all season the rumors are that he doesn't want to play in new orleans anymore and that he wants to go somewhere like the knicks because he's uh stated on multiple occasions how much he loves playing in madison square garden and stuff like that also even back to last offseason or maybe even before that honestly there were rumors of zion's family members being bitter towards the organization for not being able to construct a you know, competitive team around Zion quite yet. There's been a few rumors that have come out too about Zion and David Griffin's relationship. Uh, David Griffin is the uh, GM or president of basketball ops or whatever you want to call him there in New Orleans. There's been talk about his effort and rehabbing from his injury that he's not putting in a lot of effort to get back on the court. And he's having, you know, kind of setback after setback due to his own actions, I guess, is at least what the rumor is. There's also C.J. McCollum publicly kind of criticized or kind of called out, I guess, Zion when he first got traded there at the deadline. A few days later after the trade, C.J. McCollum said somewhere in an interview or something like that that Zion hadn't reached out to him yet, and he was surprised by that because typically the culture of the NBA, when somebody gets traded to your team, you reach out to them at least like shoot them a text or something, and especially when you're the best player on the team, you should be reaching out. JJ Redick publicly criticized him on first take. He called him a detached teammate, I believe was the term. And that criticism was spawned over the CJ McCollum thing. But then also JJ said, these are conversations that he's had to have with Zion as his teammate in the past before, um, back when Redick was on the Pelicans. But yeah, there's just, I guess, all those rumors going on about Zion, lots of people think that he's not going to be staying there. Uh, Like Jacob even pointed out in that clip you guys heard, he called that he wouldn't even be there two years from now. So, you know, that's that's definitely a possibility. That's for sure. Like I was I remember always being impressed with Zion when he first came into the league and uh, had his first like press conferences and stuff like that. Um, Just how excited he seemed to be in New Orleans and stuff like that, at least from my point of view. Um, I've heard commentary on it saying that he's like never been excited, showed that he's excited to be with New Orleans. But I don't know. I I've thought from his interviews, he just seemed really genuinely happy to be playing anywhere. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I, I really know what to think, I guess. But honestly, this team is quietly looking pretty solid for Zion to return to. They fit around him pretty well. They've got some pieces there now that, you know, they're competitive right now without him, you know, in the play-in at least. So... You know, Jonas Valanciunas, that trade they made last offseason with the Grizzlies, traded away Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe, I think. It was a multiple-team deal. But anyways, they got Valanciunas back, and he's been huge for them. He's been arguably their best player this season, to be honest. Uh, Brandon Ingram obviously being the other person you would 
argue as their best player. And I think if you pulled like every basketball fan and asked who the Pelicans' best player was, they'd probably say Brandon Ingram. You know, and he's he's been good this season. Um, he's stepped up on the defensive end, which is where he's been really lackluster the past couple seasons. So that's been a good development. Uh, they also obviously traded for CJ McCollum, like I mentioned before, at the deadline. You know, he's been a nice piece for them as well and really kind of makes things seem a lot more interesting in terms of bringing Zion back into the fold, having a guy who can really handle out on the perimeter and create his own shot, play off of Zion, Zion can play off of him, um, that kind of stuff. I think that should make Pelicans fans pretty excited. Also, the rookie this year that's just having kind of this breakout party, it doesn't really make sense to call it breakout when it's his rookie year, but you know what I mean. I think he was, I can't remember if he was drafted now. He was either undrafted or he was a late pick in the draft, but Herb Jones, he was like a junior or senior out of Alabama, but he's basically just this 6'8", 2'10", lanky wing defender, and he's really good at defending guards and wings as well. Um, he's got the athleticism and the length and the timing to be a pretty decent rim protector for his position as well. You know, if they had a rookie defensive player of the year award, it would probably be him or Evan Mobley. So, you know, he's been kind of a revelation for them, I guess, and a really nice piece to put into this core. Age-wise, he fits their timeline. I think he's like 21 or 22. They also got Larry Nance over in that trade with Portland. Um, he hasn't played much for them so far since the deadline, but, you know, I think he's going to be a, a nice piece to have for this team moving forward. Maybe they don't retain him this summer. I don't know. But Jackson Hayes also has continued to develop. You know, he's raw athletic rim runner, rim protector. So I think he's pretty intriguing still. Uh, Devontae Graham, another guy on their team that can get hot, heat check type of guard. Tony Snell is another guy they got over in that deal. Just kind of a pretty reliable, like, 3 and D guy to have on the end of your bench. Najee Marshall, I think, was a rookie last year. And he kind of made a name for himself there in New Orleans last season. So he's still there, still on the roster. Trey Murphy the third is another rookie that they got this year. Bigger wing. So, you know, they've got some really good interchangeable pieces. Also, Jose Alvarado, I should mention. Um, he's been playing quite a bit lately for them, too. I think he was just like a random signing this season. But yeah, this team is looking honestly pretty decent around Zion. And I'll be interested to see if... Zion wants to come back and give this a shot, um, see what this team can do. Obviously, I think that would probably be the best decision, or the best way to go about things. But, you know, in this player empowerment era of the NBA, it's hard to predict what will happen. Zion will be eligible for the Supermax extension this summer, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see whether he signs that or not. That might be a pretty decent maybe indicator of where he's going to go what he's going to do if he completely turns down that supermax extension even like the next offseason that would be the first player in nba history to ever do so but you know he definitely could just do that just play his rookie contract out on the pelicans and not sign his extension and just sign in free agency with the knicks Obviously, he can't sign for as much or as many years. He can only sign for four years instead of five. And it's something, I don't even know, like a 15 to 20% less um, max. That might be more than it actually is. I don't, I don't really know. But it's a decent amount of money, tens of millions of dollars. But honestly, when it's that much money already that you're being paid, 
I don't really know how much how big of a difference that makes to some guys. Also, just the fact of him playing in New York now instead of New Orleans, he's going to definitely be making a lot more money like on brand deals and just his image. Um, he's going to be a much more popular athlete. So I'm sure he won't be low on cash. That's for sure. But yeah, that's basically all my Pelican stuff. I don't think they'll they'll make it out of the play-in, to be honest. I Like I said, I think if you listen to the last episode, I was talking about how um, I think the play-in this season is honestly kind of stupid. And that's why I feel like they should have kept the same rules that they had in the bubble when they did the play-in there, that you had to be within four games of the eight seed to even enter the play-in. Because now, you know, there's like a weird drop-off from eight to nine. There's a five-game difference there. And there's like a six-game difference between seven and eight. And then that makes it... So there's a 11-and-a-half-game difference between the seven and the ten seed. I just think it's dumb that those four teams are entering the play-in against each other when there's 11-and-a-half games separating them from top to bottom of those four teams. So that's why I feel like, yeah, that range thing with the games, the amount of wins should be implemented because that even like, like I, I proposed in that episode, if you listen to it, I said, uh, you could even do it to where, where if you have the nine seed within four games of the eight, then you have them enter the play in tournament and then the seven seed would stay out of the play in tournament and they would just be in the playoffs unless the 10 seed was within, you know, four or five or whatever, you know, amount of games you want to put that limit at. If the 10 seed was within a certain amount of the seven, then you would enter them into the plan. And, you know, you could keep going up like that, basically. If they're all really tight in there, yeah, you can enter them into the plan. And that would prevent seasons like this from happening where the seven seed is literally like 12 games ahead of the 10 seed. And they're going to have to enter a tournament with them to get into the playoffs but yeah that's my thoughts on the pelicans i guess i'll be done with them now to show you the clip of the san antonio spurs who are the 10 seed right now like i mentioned before and their line was 28 and a half wins so yeah i'll let you guys get into that clip san antonio is next and this was a hard team for me i almost did the stay away with them because I can't imagine Pop tanking a season, but the roster has got to be the most underwhelming roster in the entire league. Um, Not when they get Kyrie, though. He can play every home game in Texas. That is true. true. I took the slight over with them, I think, just because I believe in them scraping out wins. And they've got, like, good guys. They just don't have, like, a lot of really good guys, if that means. Mm -hmm. So I think they can win games. I'm going to go the slight over on that. I'm going to put them in the E tier. Yeah, I'm I'm going slightly over too. Popovich always like has these teams win at least like 35 games, just somehow. So I I like him. Uh, I'm pretty E tier as well. So um, we'll see with them. They could easily go under as well, like way under. But uh, I have them over. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. I said before that I used my final lock, which I haven't yet actually. Have I? Or I did I? Yeah. But you got Cleveland as an over, uh, Houston as an under, and uh, then Golden State I'm- as an under. I'm unlocking Golden State, and I'm going to use that on something else. I still believe that in the under with Golden State, but I'm unlocking that one. Uh, And then I'm going to take the, oh, boy. I have too much faith in Pop, but this team is like, name five Spurs, four Spurs. Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, DeJounte Murray, Doug McDermott, 
uh, Zach Collins. Um, Jakob Purtle. Jakob Purtle, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I asked the wrong person. But I feel like the average human being would have been like, um, um, Devin, Devin, like they would have just struggled. Anyway, so I'm going to, ah, shoot, under, sorry, Pop. Gosh dang. Yeah, it would be weird. I didn't think I had another stay away. No, you, yeah, you used all three, it looks like. No, I know, I was talking about when I said Memphis. I didn't think there was another team I was like on the edge about, but yeah. Oh, okay. Under. All right, so now on to the San Antonio Spurs. DeJounte Murray has really you know, taking a step up this year, first-time All-Star. He's basically the latest addition into that really big, growing collection of up-and-coming great point guards in the league. There's a lot of them now, it seems like. Obviously led by, like, Ja Morant, Trey Young. Then you got LaMelo Ball, Shea Gilders-Alexander, De'Aaron Fox. Colin Sexton was in it. I don't know if he still really is in that group. But, yeah, obviously now we have DeJounte Murray. Darius Garland is also a pretty new member of that group. I don't know where Cade would be classified. I kind of see him as a little bit more of a wing. You know, he's got the ball skills also. But, yeah, it really seems like there's a lot of these guys now. And it also seems like I'm forgetting somebody. Like there's even more than I can think of. But, yeah, basically, you know, triple-double threat this year. Been really good in the mid-range. You know, improved his shooting as well. He's also a really good defensive point guard. But yeah, he's kind of been like the brightest spot of that team, I'd say. But yeah, just like we said in the clip, they've been scraping out wins this season. That's really their story. Keldon Johnson's fun. So is Devin Vassell. He's he's kind of taking a step up this season as well. Jakob Pertl being a really good rim protector there in San Antonio. They just got a pretty decent team, and they also, I think, have been overachieving due to coaching and culture and all that. So... Their over-under line was 28.5 wins. Uh, They have 31 already, and they're on pace to finish with 34, which will be interesting. Uh, The Lakers are also on pace to finish with 34, obviously, because they're tied right now. Lakers don't have the tiebreaker, though, so San Antonio is actually the 10 spot in the West right now. The Lakers are outside the play-in at the 11. And so to finish out this season... The Spurs have seven more games. So they play the Grizzlies tonight, and then the Blazers twice, and then the Nuggets, and then the T-Wolves, and then the Warriors, and then finish off the season against the Mavericks. So I see probably two to three wins in that stretch, to be honest. So it doesn't look super easy for them to try to keep that 10 spot. But, you know, we should check out what the Lakers have to finish off the season see if it's any easier and just at first glance it looks like it is it is not easier at all so lakers play the jazz then the pelicans um who they just lost to the other game and then they play the nuggets the suns the warriors the thunder and then the nuggets again um so obviously the thunder that's one to circle as lakers will probably get a um a win there I know that they have lost, I think, two games this season to the Thunder, to be honest. So, you know, they could drop another one. Um, But, yeah, the most competitive, I feel like, out of those... I mean, the Lakers could beat any of these teams, I guess, just in a one-game situation. But, I don't know. I really don't see them coming out of this with more than two or three wins, to be honest. So, this, this is really close. This is going to be a really entertaining finish to the season. 
but yeah, that's basically all my Spurs thoughts. I didn't really have much. Um, I haven't watched them a, a ton this season other than the few games that they've played against the Nuggets, really, and maybe, you know, a handful of other ones here and there. But, yeah, DeJounte Murray's fun. I like Devin Vassell. I already said all that. So, yeah, I guess that'll be it for the Southwest Division. So now next week we're going to finish off this series by talking about the Northwest. Uh, so that'll be the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Blazers, and the T-Wolves. It's finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. Please follow the feed on Spotify. Do all that kind of stuff. Go check out the YouTube channel. I've been playing Pirtle, um the past few days and uploading those videos to YouTube. So yeah, go check those out. Yeah, just thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next episode.